Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Mike Abadir, on the Mike Abadir Show. Of course, you know that because you tuned in. Today is Thursday, July 21st, 2022, just coming off the heels of what was a hot all-star game uh, week, week, uh, partial uh, partial week, if you want to call it that. Uh, Really fun home run derby on Monday, all-star game on Tuesday, a lot of festivities and red carpets and all sorts of stuff. It made a very, very slow Wednesday tough to get through if you're a baseball junkie like we are. Uh, you know, you had the ESPYs, I guess, but you got to get, you know, through the ESPYs if uh, if you want to make it through Wednesday and on to live action again. Got some games going on today. We'll touch upon those. But this is going to be a very baseball-infused edition of the Mike Abadir Show. And I'm very happy to have a guest on with us today. He's a first-timer. I know we always talk about a lot of the guests that we have on regularly and the show contributors that come in each and every week. But we always love, uh, you know, getting different perspectives, new perspectives on the show. And that's eventually how they become show contributors and we where we forge nice, fun, long relationships. And if you're a regular listener of the show, you know we don't shy away from any topics. We talk about anything and everything. And it could be PC, it could be not PC, it could be, you know, kind of political, it could be not political, it could be science, it could be anything that touches around the world of sports. Typically, it's going to be with business context, since I'm a sports agent, of course. Um, But one of the topics that we probably don't talk enough about, and if you saw, there was a shirt that Los Angeles Dodger, former Red Sox all-star Mookie Betts wore on the field. And uh, he proudly displayed it. And it was basically a T-shirt that he had made. That was a plea to the black fans in Los Angeles to come to ballgames at Dodger Stadium. And I'd never seen anything like that before. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to bring in our first guest and see if he caught that shirt, what what he thought about when he saw that shirt. And it's it's a good segue into the discussion that we're going to have today. We're going to talk a lot about uh, black culture in, in baseball, black, black ball players, not just American blacks, but maybe Latin and Caribbean and and maybe those from an Israeli Jewish background. Who knows where the conversation is going to go? We'll talk about Negro League Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera. But let's bring in our guest. He writes for MLB.com. He's a contributor with Baseball Pro. He's got his own podcast. He could fill us in on everything that he does. Of course, talking about Pat Ellington Jr. Pat, good afternoon or good evening for you. How are you, man? You're on with Mike Abadir. How are you, bud? Um, good afternoon, Mike. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, thanks for reaching out for uh, inquiring about having me. I'm really flattered and um, and I appreciate it. Appreciate that. Absolutely. So you. So where you call? Are you in the Cleveland area, or did you just happen? The first time, for those who are listening, the first time that I got introduced to Pat was I actually caught a piece that he wrote, which was very fascinating, very well written piece, and it educated me quite a bit. Um, and we'll get into that piece uh, in a little bit. It was it was about a couple of Cleveland, uh, I was almost going to say Indians, Guardians ball players, uh, Josh Naylor and Tristan mm-hmm. McKenzie. But wh- where are you located out of uh, 
Pat? So I am located in Northeast Ohio, um, born and raised in Northeast Ohio my entire life, um, specifically Cleveland and Youngstown, Ohio, for those who know. Um, my parents, my entire family is from Youngstown, so um, that's kind of where um, my identity is kind of based out of or and where I grew up. There you go. Okay, very cool, very cool. Well, we're glad to have you on with us out here in L.A. And uh, speaking of L.A., during the intro, I kind of brought up a, a shirt that Mookie Betts was wearing. Did you – uh, happen to see which one I'm talking about? Yeah, the the airbrush. Um, we knew more black people at the at the stadium T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Um, he exactly. Wore. That was that was that was big. Um, it was it was it had a lot, a lot of layers to it. First off, with it being in that airbrush style, um, that 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 um, kind of was popular, really popular among black people in the 90s and 2000s. That that kind of argues back to was really cool. Um, to it, it kind of kind of correlates with this kind of um movement that's happening in baseball right now with black people trying to I say reclaim our stake in the game. I would say that, um, more than anything. I would I would say it's a renaissance um that's happening right now within the game where we're at the beginning stages of it. And that's mostly being driven by the the players and, and the people and, and, and the institutions are kinda of getting behind it and supporting it now that is really starting to catch fire and grow. And on a on a national on a more visible level nationally. Yeah, no doubt about it. We uh, we've been hearing more and more about programs that have been installed. You know, for <laughs> for example, the RBI program, and it it takes a long time for things like that to really start. Where you feel that it's working, and I'm not right, even sure where, how you where, can the, um, where the results are consistent. There you go. I, Actually, and you kind of beat me to it because I was going to say I'm not even sure how to define whether it is working, but I think that's a good definition right there. That's at least a good starting point where the results are yeah, consistent. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, definitely when you look at um, – I'm, I'm kind of just thinking about this draft, and not just this draft because there's prime examples of other drafts, but I mean um, the four to five guys that were taken in the 2022 draft that happened earlier this week were, were black, and they were all um, a part of RBR programs. So, um, and just to give you an earlier example, um, in 2017, in that draft, Hunter Green and Royce Lewis were top two picks in that draft, and they were both their programs in Southern California that they both were. Um, so it's definitely working, um, these programs and things like that, and those that, when given opportunity, um, will play baseball. And it's not even just that we have our own firm style of playing baseball and the way we see the game is different considering the fact that baseball is more past time for black people considering how it helped reserve and de facto segregation in the south and across the country and, and amongst other things which in the in a in effect had a larger impact on reversing these type of our policies across or implement across the world against black people. Um and, and not even just that but um how um, how um, it allowed Afro-Latino players like Roberto Clemente and others to provide socioeconomic support for where they're from and things like that. I know I'm, I'm going on a tangent that's winding, but um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely working. Um, I mean, and it's not even just just the, the RBR programs and things. There's um, there's 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 much happening on the other side of the spectrum in terms of grassroots, in terms of players and and people pushing pushing things and movements in terms of getting black people reacquainted with baseball, um that are happening. So, 
I think yeah, no, look, we're I, definitely I don't think I don't, I don't think you took it down a winding uh, road at all, actually, because you, you kind of hit on a lot of the subjects that I wanted to talk about, actually. So now you're kind of giving me a a place to go back to when I try to hit on those, and I and I hope we can get get to everything because it's such a it's an interesting conversation, it's an important conversation, and it's quite fascinating to me personally. You know, I I find that first of all, let me go back to when you're talking about the airbrush. You know, the to me, that's very nostalgic because I kind of grew up in that time era that you're talking about. You know, I'm guessing I'm probably a few years older than you. And, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s in the MTV era, that type of thing. You know, I can't tell you when's the last time that I necessarily, you know, watched an hour or two straight of of uh, of uh, uh, videos on on MTV. You know, I've I've seen some videos here and there on like YouTube or something, but that's kind of what we grew up in back in that day. And artistically speaking, yeah. that definitely brings me back to that era, most definitely. I actually date back a little bit before that because I got into the whole MTV thing when, you know, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and then, of course, like Van Halen, but the Chaka Khans and, you know, I could go on and on. So it's kind of like in that mid 80s is kind of my earliest memories of watching MTV. And so uh, it gives me a very nostalgic feel when you're talking about that. And I, and I like that Mookie brought it back to that because I think it's also a plea to maybe middle-aged people late 30s early 40s you know maybe some of the demographic that has kids hey bring your kids to the ballpark it's a good opportunity oh, to bond, bond with your sure. kids and have a good time and good entertainment right yeah definitely for sure you gotta think about it those people in those age groups they watch ken griffey and barry bonds and those um last great black ball players from the 90s 2000s they they saw them at, i mean during the prom they saw them i mean i feel like um when 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 you look at black baseball, the '90s kind of gets overshadowed. When we, because it's really kind of seen as when the participation kind of plummeted. But at the same time, you had Ken Griffey, Barry Bonds, and a whole bunch of other guys on the field at that time. I mean, Kenny Lofton too. I mean, those three right there. I mean, that's three Hall of Famers. Well. One Hall of Famer and two Absolutely. Hall of Famers. But, but, and but, even um, All-Stars, too, like Delino the Shields and Marquise Grissom and a lot of these guys that were dynamic uh, on, on so many different teams, te- teams that were winning teams. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. of course, the guy that played through 100, 100 decade, decades, uh, maybe, maybe what, five decades or something, Ricky Henderson, <laughs> right? I mean, um, right. you had some great players during that time period. decades, which is ridiculous. <laughs> unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He could probably still beat out a lot of big leaguers in a 40. I can guarantee you that. Um, Ricky's one of those freak athletes that uh, a, lot of, a lot of people don't know, by the way, because I'm from originally from Northern California, and he was a legend in football. Um, Skyline yeah. High School, Oakland, he was a tremendous uh, running back. And to this day, I'll, I'll, I'll bet anybody anything, nobody could ever win on this because we'll never find out, but he could have been a Hall of Fame running back if he wanted to pursue that path as well. But I'm sure glad that it's he funny. stuck it's with It's interesting. Um, a lot of um, I, I want to bring up a couple of the multi-sport athletes, um, like Rajon Rondo. I know he's a basketball player, but he was a, um, a three-way sports star in Kentucky um, in high school um, as, as a varsity athlete. He was a pitcher. Um, and I, I know, know of course, someone who likes basketball, you can see how his traits could translate to being a pitcher immediately with the big hands, sure. long arms, and his personality and things like that. Um, and so let, really let, me, let me tell you something real quick, by the way, account. Pat. Let me tell you something about mm-hmm. from, from my industry as an NFL agent. And, and not a lot of people knew this, and I wish uh, a lot more young people would know this. And I don't know how many listeners are in that kind of high school range that listen to this show. You know, um, 
Right. But uh, I'll say this. One of the first questions when I get a call from an NFL scout, of course, I'm not talking about the top 10, 20 picks in the NFL draft. I haven't worked with any of those yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, typically for the guys that scouts need more information on, one of the first questions they always ask me is, what other sports did so-and-so play? Like, so when I'm talking to a scout, when I'm talking to a team about a player I'm representing going into that year's NFL draft, it's almost always what position did this person play? And they love it when they hear that somebody played center field, played shortstop. You almost rarely hear catcher, you know. But whenever I tell them that they play any of those other positions, and then if you just let them talk. Yeah, well, when you let them, and then a pitcher, of course. And when you let them talk, they'll just they'll just keep going on and on and on about how playing those positions translates so well into the position that they're playing at the collegiate level and hoping to play into the NFL level, whether that's a linebacker, whether that's a receiver or running back, of course, or a DB, but playing baseball in particular basketball. Also, if you're talking maybe about a tight end or somebody like that, like Antonio Gates, you know, guy who can catch the ball high, um, but it's got like some girth to right. him. Guys you know. are going to be built with like small fours and wings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they they love the translation. I'm sorry I interrupted, but I, I think you made a really good point. No, you're there. good. I uh, love I love this conversation. I love where it's headed. Yeah, I mean it, it definitely definitely translates uh, very well. And a lot of those guys, by the way, too. When you go back to some of those guys, uh, Ricky, and maybe even a little bit before that, they were legendary. How about Dave Winfield? I don't know how much you know about his background, but the guy was yeah, he drafted was the first round pick out of out of, out of uh, Minnesota baseball, yep. football, and 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 uh, basketball. I think, right? Yep. And and I want to say people can kind of uh, can Wikipedia this, but I, I want to say he was actually a pretty decent hockey player too, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I did. He was a good hockey player as well. Yep. Uh, Tony Gwynn. He was a really good basketball player. He wasn't always. You know, those those images of him towards the end of his career where he's kind of, you know, packing on some weight. He wasn't always like that. He was a very athletic, excellent basketball player. Yeah, he was uh, a point guard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know about him and Bob Gibson. But there you go. There, yeah, Bob people don't know that Bob Gibson played basketball at Korean, too. And he could have went to the NBA. Uh, you know, it's it's really amazing about uh, when when you when you when you kind of delve into this subject matter how interesting it is and. You know, it's almost like you wish there was maybe a video game out there that would be kind of cool that could project them playing in other sports and see how we could do because that's the closest that we'll ever get to find out is some kind of video and, you know, uh, re what's the word? Not animating, but, you know, just recapturing some of those skill sets that some of those players had. Very, very interesting subject. Now, I want to ask you Mm -hmm. then. So for me in the late 80s, Eric Davis, Daryl Strawberry, guys like that. Those were those are the posters. Some of the posters that were on my wall. I was a big Red Sox fan, so of course I had uh, Roger Clemens and Wade Boggs and uh, Ellis Burks and and some of those guys on the Red Sox. But outside of the Red Sox, it was Straw, uh, Eric the Red. Um, I think at one point I put up Jose Canseco because he was cool for uh, for a few minutes there in the Bay Area as well. But I'm going to ask you a kind of a hot and loaded question. What happened? What happened? You know, even Bo Jackson picked baseball. Now we see Kyler Murray picking football. And today, of course, it comes out that he gets a contract. Congratulations to Kyler Murray and his camp for getting that deal done. 
but what he's making by himself exceeds the A's payroll entirely. So it kind of almost justifies, and I was kind of bummed to hear that because it justifies his decision to play football over baseball. Um, but w- what do you think happened in that transition between the 80s on into the 90s to make it to where the numbers fell flat in the 2000s? Because baseball was cool for a long time. And even if you look at some of the early, like, you know, music videos and, you know, the some some of the drivers of society in terms of uh, hip culture and things of that nature, you know, there were a lot the of really star jerseys. The Negro League yeah. and the jerseys and stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I want to say one of the turnarounds was maybe Deion Sanders. Even though he played baseball mm-hmm. and football at a high level and Bo Jackson as well, but the glamour that he brought to football, it was almost easier to bring it out for him in a football game on the sidelines, picking off, you know, a quarterback, taking it to the house. And then, then you started seeing... You know, seeing... I got a really interesting perspective about this. Um, I Let's like hear is perfect. Actually, you know what? Can you hold that um, thought, Pat? Because we want to take a quick commercial break because I don't want to interrupt oh, your story. And then we'll, we'll come back okay. and then we'll hit on, hit on, hit on the, the, your perspective on that and we'll continue the conversation. You got time to stick with us for another segment or so? Yeah. Yeah, that Outstanding. Works. Talking to Pat Ellington. You guys got to check him out. What's your handle on Twitter, by the way? Tangible underscore uno. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll give Pat an opportunity to dole that out a couple of times before the end of the show. Talking to Pat Ellington Jr., more about him, more about baseball, more about culture, right after this. Stick with us, everyone. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back to the Mike Abadir Show, talking to Pat Ellington, Jr., researcher, writer, extraordinaire. I think he also has a podcast as well. He could fill us in all about that. But before the break, we were just talking about the, the, the man, the myth, the legend, Deion Sanders, prime time, the showman of all showmen, maybe in professional sports during my lifetime, the guy that was embraced as being as much of an individual as you can in a team sport environment. And so we've each been kind of taking each other back to different eras and some of the thoughts that come to mind when we hear about that. Pat was just about to kind of uh, chime in on that. That's where we left off. So, Pat, take it away, bud. Okay, so with Deion Sanders and how it kind of relates to your question of um, how the black baseball numbers dwindle, he um, recently, very recently, I say in the last two weeks, um, made a media appearance um, with someone where he kind of broke down how much more expensive it, it got to play baseball from when, when he was a kid compared to my age group. And for your context, and I hope I'm not making you or your listeners feel old, Mike, um, I was born in 1998. I'm 24 years old. Um, so, you could have been my kid. I, I would have been a young pop, but you could, you could have been my kid. Let's just say that. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the sport, the cost of the sport got much higher um, in terms of um, when it comes to little league, pon- uh, pony league, whatever, to, and where, where you kind of cultivate the roots of the game. And like as you know, as a sports fan, you know it's kind of hard to get into baseball the older you get compared to other sports in in, this, in some little ways in a sense, and just how the sport is and everything like that. Um, Did he break it, down why it, it was more expensive? Because I mean, when I look at it, I still um, think like pads and helmets. I mean, I know some, um, some you know, little league type teams, Pop Warner type teams provide some of the equipment and stuff. Right. But football doesn't exactly. seem well, cheap either. But I guess did. they don't play as many games. He, 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 yeah, he. I mean, it was a different time. Really well I'm sorry. I was gonna say maybe it was a different time. Well, um, well, he kind of broke. I mean, well, you got um, it was. It's mostly just the um, the, the cost and things like that. Um, where I mean, baseball is a lot more expensive now, um, and I think that's because of just the lack of availability around it. I mean, considering that they took off, there's no more ballparks being built in neighborhoods and things like that, and a lack of investment. But there's also, I think, um, just um, more focus on profit than anything, and um, and and with that, you also have um, a concentration on upper level and. and and you know, serious travel ball circuits where you have your uh, soon-to-be pro players playing that, where everybody wants. To, I think the system is too focused on being that than trying to just um, provide a workable system where everybody can play. Do you mind if I push? Do you mind if I push back on you a little bit? Not on you, but I mean on kind of what you're you're saying or what maybe Dion really was saying, not really what you're I know, saying. Go ahead. Um, so here's my thing. I, I think you, I think you some pushback in a sense. <laughs> I think, okay, I, think it, it kinda oversha- I think it kind of overshadows um, the success of the NFL and NBA and NBA times and the aptitude of the MLB. Well, here's the thing. Here, here's where my slight pushback, or maybe just I want to know more about that comes in because when I look at our 
you know, our Latin and our Caribbean brothers, mm-hmm. whether it be the DR, Dominican Republic, or Puerto Rico, or the many, many Latin, uh, you know, Afro-Caribbean uh, places where baseball is uh-huh. number one, many of those countries are living on a much lower income standard than we are. Oh, you know, no, for sure. How, how is it that they've um, been, how, how is it that the game has flourished over there? Like, I think there's got to be more maybe than money in, in the equation as well, right? I mean, I see some of those videos well, I mean, that like Pedro Martinez or, or Big Poppy will kind of show from like when they were younger and stuff. And it seems like those guys, are, they'll find a stick and a yarn ball and play. And so I don't know how exactly they get discovered. That's a whole separate conversation in terms of scouting in those worlds. I know MLB has done some investment over there in terms of uh, sending scouts over, but also building academies and stuff like that in those areas. But they're doing that because it's popular. They're doing that because they're going to get rewarded on their investment down there. Why Why do you think baseball maybe pulled back from areas like even warmer weather areas, whether it be maybe like a Houston or Atlanta or, you know, areas where baseball could flourish, you know, we're not maybe seeing as much investment until maybe recently with the RBI program and stuff like that. Didn't something have to shift in order, you know, like it must've been like more people are all of a sudden playing basketball and, and, and and football. I doubt really soccer or hockey or anything else, but why did the investment do you think dwindle? Well, um, I think, I mean, when you look at the structures of all these sports, especially in America and how they, um, and how, um, and how they're, and how they're used in terms of scholarship distribution and things like that too. Um, well, it's not that the sport has just got more expensive. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's kind of less resorting to players who are based on the, the, the structures, the structures, um, that college sports in America has. I mean, um, when you look at the, the, the structure for how do you go, do you want scholarships are distributed to uh, college students? Um, baseball has a, a lot smaller amount compared to football and basketball, and there's and there's a competitive balance argument for that. But at the same time, it just um, it, it symbolizes the, it's it's more so a lack of investment in the sport. Um, I think in black communities and black areas, and you also got to combine that with. Um, there's more options to play other sports in America compared to a place like the DR where um, other sports may not be as popular. Um, well, well, mind you, there's a, actually a rise in basketball right now on the island sport, which is kind of funny to look at. Um, but, yeah, I would say um, more competition. Um, I'd also say um, with, with sports like football, um, how um, football utilize HCs as pipelines, um, before black athletes were allowed to go to PWIs that were um, known for producing, um, known, that were known for producing football players, along with um, the same for uh, basketball. Uh, that same, I mean, when you look at, I mean, when you look at black baseball um, from the from the eighties to the nineties, um, it, it starts with. Uh, just the, the lack, the lack of little league and stuff. There was, there was that stuff was really kind of re- retracted during kind of um, during the kind of the, the white fight that kind of took place because it took place during the eighties and the nineties in a sense. So I think it's kind of that. But I, I do agree it is for so 
um, other sports in America are better competition and can offer better economic rewards right now. Um, so I, I think, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It definitely makes sense. I think one component also that maybe probably should be factored in is the shift in the interests of Americans with respect to sport overall. When you look back at just America's history, I'm not talking about any race or any you know community in particular, right. but in America, when you look back in the 50s, many people don't know this, but the three most popular sports, and I'm not sure exactly what order, but I would suspect would be something along the lines of baseball, horse racing, and boxing. And all three have really been pushed down the ladder quite a bit. And right now when you ask people, yeah, yeah, I mean, when you ask people now, NFL is king, college football is is right there, uh, and then followed by basketball, you know, and then there's a little bit of a gap. And for those who are going to come back at me calling BS, because of the the dollars that are in baseball, you got to keep something in mind. Baseball maybe generates more than basketball right now, but I think that's because there's 162 game season, so the TV deals cover a very long period of time and a lot of games, and then there's a lot of games to have gate receipts at from from baseball than any other sport. But in terms of well, the popularity, if you maybe were to like just pull the average person walking down the street, I think football basketball basketball baseball are going to be probably close soccer's kind of bridging the gap a little bit i think because we see much more of it on tv so it kind of tells me that there's some interest in it you know um, when i was younger you didn't see the premier league and all these leagues la liga and you know all this stuff from from latin america and south america coming in on fox sports but now you you know you, you can't turn on the tv any week without seeing it so i think soccer is probably doing a pretty good job building the infrastructure but that's also an expensive travel game as well here in the United States. All of this stuff is very fascinating. I'll let you get the last thought on this uh, subject before we move on. Okay. Um, repeat the question one more time. I kind of I think it was just more of a at. yeah, I think I was more just throwing out conceptually speaking that a lot of this maybe has to do with just that there's been a cultural shift maybe from the 50s where you had boxing and horse racing and, and, and baseball now it's it's very NFL centric, college football, mm-hmm. basketball, et Whoa. cetera. And and ESPN, when you look at how much coverage they'll give, like on Sports Center, during the, the times of year where the sports overlap, it's pretty much if you're overlapping with football, you're gonna take a back seat. I don't care what sport it is. I don't care unless it's like, you know, Christmas Day where you have like LeBron and 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 you know uh, Chris Paul and a line, you know, a Christmas Day lineup. But now we're even seeing the football is playing games head to head on Christmas Day. So that may even wane out. I think ESPN and, and these channels that are showing these highlights are focusing a lot more on maybe what people want. And it seems like there's been a shift in society where you can't get enough football. That at least is kind of the case from my perspective. What, what are your thoughts? Well, for me, I think. Um we don't really give David Serenity enough credit for how he really used Magic and, and, and Larry to build momentum. And then, yeah, Mike. And then he, honestly, I think um, from the, when we look at sports history, we're going to look at the NBA from the 80s on and think that was mostly a masterclass about how to execute it because they've been perfect from then up to this point when their league was a joke. Um, and I feel like you don't get no credit for that. 
and I may get flack for that, but I also feel like um, MLB, and I don't mean just Major League Baseball itself as an entity. I mean all of um, the industry, whether it be the people who cover it, everybody, down to the last intern who wrote a, a period on, on somebody's article, whenever. Um, it really hasn't. They've done an awful job catering to black audiences um, and also covering black players and black people in the game. And I feel like that's another big thing, too. Um, and baseball hasn't really done enough, has done a good enough job enabling um, black people to determine how we see ourselves in the game and to, and to put on record um, how we see the game and what we use the game for and, and, and other things like that. I feel like um, I feel like that's a big part of it, too. Great point. I couldn't agree with you anymore. And it's uh, it's kind of funny because now when I look at you know MLB, they're trying to kind of make up for lost time, and uh, I I appreciate that. I mean, it's, I'm of the mindset better late than never, and so if you start right. to invest now and market now and promote now, you know, hey, uh, we all we all learn, even leagues learn, and uh, I think sometimes maybe you get complacent, and um, that's just that's just life. But I think there's been an influx of of uh, the fresh mentality, let's just say. And so I hope when I see guys like, um, you know, I see that there's been a lot of focus on like, um, I was going to ask you who are some of the guys that excite you. I think one that comes to mind is like Jazz, Ch- Jazz Chisholm. But hopefully that was the name I had on my head as soon as you said, <laughs> who is that guy? Um, yeah, Chisholm I hope, I hope he doesn't get stuck in he, Florida he's forever. Though, he, he's him. He's, him. Um, he, he's the guy. He, I just hope. I either hope Florida gets or Miami gets better or he doesn't get stuck there forever because he's a great talent, but he's fun to watch. And he seems like really like a good human being. He seems down to earth. He's well-spoken. He's soft-spoken verbally, but he's loud-spoken with his game, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, He really, I feel like he really expresses himself with his game, expresses himself well with his game. And, um, and also, um, I'm excited about how um, much visibility he has for Afro-Caribbean players, especially ones from Anglophone countries, because I feel like um, he's going to be, he was especially with him playing in, in in Miami and Florida, where there's a lot of people from, Afro, or there's a lot of black people from Caribbean countries who immigrate mm-hmm. there, especially from Anglophone Caribbean countries. Um, it's it's going to be big. Um, you know, the charisma he has with his talent and stuff on the field, um, it seems genuine, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's there just because he's good. Like, you know, like, like we, like we do in baseball where it might be on a, where the camera might be on a guy who's the best friend of the team, but he has the personality of a fax machine, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. So, that's I mean, a he really of- has a, and I, and I especially think with him being an infielder, that's important too. Um, sure. It's, um, with, with the plays you can make up the middle and things like that, it's, it's like a, a DBOI receiver or a linebacker. They're going to be visible and involved in a sense. Great more. point. Comple- completely agree with you. I'm going to ask you a question that is is going to be just in the nature of the question is going to be somewhat controversial, but I, I really don't think it should. I think it's just kind of raw facts of life, man. Uh, and the question is this. Do you think that black Americans embrace or root as hard for black players from other countries? Or do you think, and I know you can't answer for everybody, but just generally speaking, what's your gut feel on it? Do you think, you know, if it's, 
they're more likely to root for Ken Griffey Jr. than a Jazz Chisholm. Because I, I don't so, recall, like, um, you know, and, and I'm, we're going to talk about the Josh Naylor piece in a second. But the reason that comes up okay. to mind, because two of the best players when I was growing up were Chili Davis uh, and, uh, and Devon White. But it didn't seem right. like they got the love like they were one of us, you know, like the black community saying that they're one of us. It was kind of like their, their skin color is of such, but they're from somewhere else. And maybe a lot has to do with the fact that some of these guys, uh, well, the Jamaicans speak English, but a lot of the other ones, their English is so-so. Some work really hard on it, like uh, Pedro Martinez or, or Big Poppy. They work uh, uh, many, 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 many hours. But even I'm going to say the same thing for Shohei Otani, man. I, I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, if he if he spoke really good English, I think he'd be embraced by a lot more people. What are your thoughts on on that take? Yeah, so um, I will say this. I think baseball for a sport that that relies on that relies so much on on talent from all across the world, and is a good is a game that hedges itself on being a, a global game. Um, there's a lot of xenophobia, especially considering you know. In his, in his background, he's saying this is the highest level of baseball in America. This is going to attract people from all over the world who want to be here and see or play at the highest level of baseball. Um, so it's kind of backwards. But there's specifically um, trying to focus in on your question about black players from other countries. Um, there's a lot of misconstruement and kind of dissonance about how black is perceived and what it means to be black. Um, to be black is to be an individual African descent. Black is just a term usually describe someone of African descent. Um, for all those who are listening, um, in case you didn't know, transatlantic slave trade transported more black people to Latin America and the Caribbean than North America, and they're still there to this day. Um, historically, um, the first countries in the Americas or the Western Hemisphere where black people were allowed to be free are, are, are in Latin America. Um, when you look at the history of Latin America, the first free individual town founded by black people was in is in Colombia. It's called Palenque, and it still exists to this day. There are black communities in across the Caribbean that hold on to the African as just as well as black Americans do. There's no monolith, monolithic way to approach black people, and nobody has a, a monopoly on being black. I mean, it's just what we are, and we're all scattered across the world because it's translated slave trade um, and things like that. And our Africanness manifests in various ways based on the cultures of the countries where we come from. Um, we're very diverse and beautiful people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really complex. And it's mostly just a, a lack of educate, education, things like that. And just to give you some context on me, um, I was raised by a, a, a woman who, um, who ran two college programs focused on um, sending blacks to college. And um, she had plenty of foreign black students and, um, black American students who, um, who I was around, who shaped me and molded me. Um, and I was also, um, I also went to a historically black college in Atlanta called Morehouse College, um, where I was around black people from all over the world and things like that. So, wow, um, man, that was that was deep. That was that was educational. That was good, good stuff, man. Hey, I hate to monopolize your time. We got to take a commercial. Can you stick with us for a few more minutes so that we can kind of wrap this up after the break here? Definitely. Awesome. Talking to Pat Lington Jr. Stay with us, everyone. We will be back right after this.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy plus you get to take advantage of some great member benefits get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels keep track of your favorite episodes shows and hosts in your own customizable library find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites plus you get insider access with our newsletter membership gives you more Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back with Pat Ellington from MLB.com. Good writer, great speaker, very well educated on some of these issues that we're talking about today. So we're very happy and proud to have him on with us. We've been talking about a whole variety of subject matters relating to basically blacks in baseball. And it's kind of funny because uh, Twitter, you're limited in space. And I started um, having to remove words and add words and and do what everybody that's been on Twitter does when you're limited in terms of a space constraint. And, you know, the first the first revision uh, or I, let me just jump to the final revision. I wrote the Black Hall of Fame. I wanted to talk about the Negro Leagues, and then, but I didn't have enough space to put Negro Leagues. And then after I pressed send, I thought about it. I'm like, well, it's not the Black Hall of Fame, because if it was the Black Hall of Fame, then Ken Griffey Jr. or Barry Bonds could be in there. It's, it's the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame. And I, I was about to go change it. I didn't have enough room, didn't have enough time. But how... How, besides wearing a ball cap, how important are the Negro League Hall of Fame, Negro Leagues Hall of Fame to you personally? And the part B of that question is how important was it for MLB to bring in guys from the Negro Leagues into the MLB Hall of Fame? So it's a two-part question for you. Well, um, for me, I view the Negro Leagues as its own separate well, entities, there was multiple leagues. Um, for, for me, um, 
the Negro Leagues are deserved to be separate because um, that's what they were considering based on the social norms of the time period. Um, but also at the same time, um, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame is supposed to be for all of baseball and not just MOB. Um, and so it has a responsibility to not just acknowledge MOB, but also all professional leagues. And when you look at the Negro Leagues, they were the equivalent, or the equivalent of Major League Baseball. Um, people didn't, a lot of people don't know this, but I can't remember if it was the Homestead Grays or the, or the Pittsburgh Crawfords, but one of those two teams running out the, the stadium with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they outdrew them yearly. So, wow, I, mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm, there's plenty of stuff on record from black baseball players, white baseball players, black scouts, white scouts, who were considered the greatest contemporaries of their day, who blandly said that Negro League Baseball was equal to Major League Baseball. I mean, and it's improved by the players who who switched over, who, who played in local leagues and, and improved themselves as black players so that they can play in, in, in the league and be, and be some of the greatest players ever. Now, by the way, if you want to um, know why I... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're okay. Oh, I was just going to say, if you want to know why, by the way, I call it MLB Hall of Fame and not Baseball Hall of Fame. It is the Baseball Hall of Fame. You're right. But unlike... See, basketball, they'll bring in players from everywhere, not necessarily NBA. It's it's a celebration of basketball. Where I, I really don't view the Baseball Hall of Fame as that. I really view it as the MLB Hall of Fame. Because, for example, we don't have... Oh, no, for sure. We don't have like the the all time home run leader from Japan in it, Sadaharo O, right? If it was truly like a no. baseball Hall of Fame, we would have somebody like that. And to me, though, it was it was an admission of a mistake. It was an admission of a mistake d- done by people who can't fix the past. And and Definitely I understand sure. that, and um, I respect that, and, I, and I'm not coming. I, I can't come down hard on them because they weren't around back then, so it wasn't their fault per se but they're doing the best that they can to try to fix a mistake you know what i mean it's kind of a nuanced distinction but that's kind of why i made that distinction you see what i'm saying yeah when you look at that when you look at these type of situations um you're, you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't excuse my language um, true true very true um you know just i mean for for me personally um I think it's a bit formative, but I see the value in it in, in terms of how formatives can, can reach people and and also symbolize things and, and whatever, whatever in, in terms of um, moving forward and, and developing better coverage. That's a part of developing better coverage, right, in a sense, um, having the hindsight to, to do these type of things. And maybe... And maybe maybe baseball will one day consider removing openly racist feet from the Hall of Fame like Ansel Mount Landis and, and KKK members like Roger Swarnsby. I don't know. Um, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, it, I, there you hindsight have, is always twenty twenty. You know. Sure. No, 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 no doubt about that. Absolutely. And and look, at the end of the day, it, it, we're in twenty twenty two, and there's only so many things that we could do. And no matter what, it's nothing's going to be perfect. And I think you said it well when you said, "Damned if you do, damned if you don't." I mean, it is it is kind of like that. Hopefully, though, you you bring in the right mindset, and you bring in um, 
you know, brilliant minds. The people and who can gradually just work towards those things. A, a, exactly, to get to where you want to get to. So I've mentioned your piece a couple times, so I would be remiss if I went through the entire show and not uh, bring it up because it was, by all, all intents and purposes, how you and I in, initially met. You put out a, uh, a uh, an article, very well-written piece, um, and it kind of gave me a little bit more information about some of your player players from the Cleveland Guardians from your home locale. Uh, guys that I've um, been been following as individual players and monitoring their progress, and I'm talking about Josh Naylor and um, and Tristan McKenzie, uh, which was kind of cool because um, I didn't know the things that you put out there, so I didn't know about their Jamaican background, and it was interesting because when I pulled up the list on uh, I just typed in Jamaican players. The first thing that comes up are Jamaican-born players, and I was amazed at how few are born in Jamaica that have played here. Two of the guys I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Chili Davis mm-hmm. and Devon White, are amongst them. Um, but, you know, there's there's even another tier, too, which is that Josh Naylor, his family, and his uh, brother Bo, who plays a position that you don't traditionally see a lot of black players playing, which is catcher. Hopefully he's going to get his call up uh, to the majors sometime in the near future. But these guys are from Canada also. They're from uh, Toronto, right? Yes, they are. They're from the greater Toronto area. Um, Mississauga, which is about uh, another large city um, right outside of Toronto, about 30 minutes. Um, Toronto, also um, a historically black area for um, for black people from countries that were formerly under the banner of the United Kingdom Commonwealth colonialism. So black people from um, a lot of black people from the Caribbean and um, Africa are called Toronto home. Now, Tristan um, McKenzie. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I oh, was going to say, say yeah, and Tristan, he's actually from South Florida, um, which yep. is the opposite of the map, um, but also um, a historically black area, um, has a lot of Jamaican, both areas also have a lot of Jamaican immigrants, South Florida and the greater Toronto area as well. Um, so, so, yeah, I wanted that was important to me to highlight them and where they're from and just give them that visibility and, and to them and their communities, things like that. Um, just cause it's important that, um, for me and how, how I see the game, recognizing, um, first generation Americans, first generation black Americans from who are of descent from different countries and things like that. And, um, recognizing them as who they are. Cause you know, I have, I've had friends who first generation Americans in my whole life, um, you know, um, who had parents that were immigrants. So, um, um, holding myself to this, holding myself to a standard and um because i see my my friends and them and these players and things like that i just want to make sure i i give the utmost respect and attention to detail and things like that that kind of drives my coverage in terms of and also the historically the lack of um specific coverage for black people in the sport like me and people don't know that roberto clemente was identified as black and was extremely outspoken about being black to the point where he protested against jim crow and and sat out after Martin Luther King got assassinated on opening day. Good history knowledge to drop on all you listeners out there. If you did not know that about Roberto Clemente, who uh, was uh, tragically, uh, his life was cut short prematurely doing something good. And you could read all about that, I'm sure, online or see some of those old school MLB videos. Um, we only have a couple minutes before we close um, this is typically the time where I interrupt a lot because we are about to close and want to keep it moving. But um, I do have a question for you because you mentioned on one of the sites that you're associated with, which I believe is your podcast, uh, the uh, African uh, di- Diaspora 
which when I hear that, I think about maybe blacks with Jewish roots. Uh, educate me, educate us on what is that exactly and why was it important? But keep in mind, we only have about a minute and change to do so. Okay, so the African diaspora is a term that is used to um, describe black people um, across the world, directly of African descent, who were um, scattered by um, transatlantic slave trade and neo colonization. Um, so, and and other events as well, and, and, and things. So. Um, we're just the people. Um, there's uh, African diaspora spans from the United States to Central Latin America to to all the way back to Africa. Um, you know, like just to give you an example, Fernando Rodney from the, the former longtime believer for the Twins, who I'm sure you know of. Um, yes. The reason why his last name is Rodney because he's actually of Black American descent. His ancestors were escaped Black American slaves who escaped to Haiti. Well, in Haiti when it was known, when the Dominican Republic was known as. Haiti, when the you know, entire island Hispaniola was under Haiti, when Haiti was freed by, when Haiti freed itself from, from, from slavery. I mean, so um, many people don't know just um, just that. Many people <laughs> just don't what know you the said. history, the history and the facts. Yeah, yeah. It's just history and facts. And that I mean, and when people think of the African diaspora, they don't think of enough people. Sure. And they and they really and they really. And, and it's also a misunderstanding of how nationality, ethnicity, and race intersect and, and how they're categorized and things like that. Absolutely too. right, man. And I wish we could go on about this. We'll have to bring you back. I know exactly what you're talking about, though, because I actually have Nubian blood in me. And I went to church uh, with a bunch of Ethiopian and Eritreans and a lot of really good people whose parents actually were more right. interested in them uh, educating themselves yeah. than playing sports. But uh, that's all the I time that we I, got. Yeah, you, you people don't understand profile. how even diverse. East Africans and Middle Eastern people are and stuff like I, that, I, too. No so. no doubt about that, brother. I, hey, man, thank you so much for joining us. I wish uh, we had more time. We'll definitely have to bring you on, continue the co conversation, because it's an important one and it's a fascinating one. Thank you so much, Pat. Check out his work. You'll see him on my tweets. And uh, it's all the time we have. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.